and welcome to Stratcom Conversations, a podcast about strategic communication and journalism. I'm your host, Todd Votes. Today I want to talk about Emotional Intelligence 2.0, a 2009 book by Bradbury and Greaves. My goal is to unpack the text a little and relate it to my life. So I'm going to break down my thoughts in three ways. First, I'm going to look at myself and how I exist in my personal life. Second, I'm going to keep being introspective, but I'm going to think about myself in the context of my career and other relationships. Finally, I'm going to think about where I have or have not seen emotional intelligence in the world around me. To be clear, though, I did not fully understand what emotional intelligence was before reading this book. I'd heard the term, and I thought I had some vague understanding. But what Bradbury and Greaves explained showed me that there was a lot more to this concept than just being aware of your emotions. One of the cool things about the text is that it provides this quiz or a test so you can determine what your emotional intelligence score is. Of the two tests that help determine things like self-management, I scored in the 70s for both. Now, I would have liked to have thought I would have scored higher, maybe in the 80s. I'm not saying I was perfect, but I thought, I thought I could have done, a be- could have done better. Clearly, there's room to grow. But I also wonder what others would say about me. So in the book, there is a portion where they outline what other people have said about a given person. And they did this to show how people's perceptions and that the EQ score, as they call it, the emotional intelligence score, line up. But I wonder if in the self-evaluation, I was being maybe too critical of myself. Maybe I fake it better as far as people are concerned, but inside I know what I'm really thinking and feeling. Now, maybe that's a cop-out. Maybe I'm trying to make myself feel better. But I would be interested then to take this to the next step and see what other people had to say about me. The problem is, like, if I just go up and ask somebody, the likelihood that they're going to give me a true and honest answer seems pretty slim if they know I'm the one asking and I'm going to be receiving the information right from them. They'd have to look me in the eye. And so if it was something negative, they may not want to be completely forthcoming. Still, it would be an interesting experiment to be able to conduct. And as I went through the book, it helped me, as I said, understand the core concepts of what emotional intelligence is. And the thing that kept popping out to me was, was the definition that Bradbury and Greaves put forth. And basically they said emotional intelligence is, quote, communication between your emotional and rational brains. So the idea is our emotions can cause logical and coherent thinking to fail. So we have to understand how emotions and intelligence work together to be able to manage both of those effectively. And I think that's crucial, and that's what we're going to talk about here going forward. And it also, in reading it, made me think of a work by David Chrislip and Ed O'Malley, their 2013 book, For the Common Good, Redefining Civic Leadership. In that book, they outline all these components of civic leadership and how to deal with technical and adaptive challenges. Now, those two concepts might be a subject for a later podcast. But one of the c- components of their, of their book, they talked about this idea of managing self. 
And their, this, this concept was something that they developed in order for people to seek awareness of their personal tendencies, quote, tendencies, vulnerabilities, and triggers. And those inform how individuals react in a given situation. To me, that seemed super related to the ideas put forth in emotional intelligence. And so with that in mind, I tried to consider, you know, my personal life. How do I deal with things? So one of the thing, one of the stories that the book shares is, this, is a tale about Butch Connor, who had a run-in with a shark. And he kind of froze. His emotions hijacked him, as the book refers to it. And at first he didn't know what to do. He just figured he was, he was toast. But then he got control of himself and he managed to get away. So I tried to think, have I experienced anything similar? Well, I certainly haven't had an encounter with a shark because I don't swim well. And so I, don't, I wouldn't be in the water, especially trying to surf. Because that's what, that's what Butch Connor was doing. I'm not coordinated enough to do something like that. And I can't think, although I'm sure it's happened, of a time when fear has rendered me useless and made me freeze up. However, I am a parent and an educator. So I've had some instances where my emotions maybe hijacked my, my actions and my thoughts and emotions when I was frustrated, like with my high school students. When I was a high school English teacher and journalism teacher, sometimes the students would complain about an assignment that they were giving or that they had to read this book in English. And I know there were times when I got frustrated, I let my emotions get the best of me, and I lost my cool. I was not good at managing myself, as David Chrislip and Ed O'Malley would say. I wasn't having high emotional intelligence, as Bradbury and Greaves talk about. Of course, also with my children, there's, there's times when there's, there's crying, they're throwing fits, or they're fighting with each other, or they want something, and I've you know, told them no, and then that, that, there's, no, there's no reasoning with, with a three and a one and a half year old. And so then I get frustrated and things, and things boil over. The thing that I think is helpful, at least for me, is I usually feel some level of guilt shortly thereafter. And Bradbury and Greaves talks about how that isn't always necessarily the best emotion, but at least I, after the fact, recognize that I was not behaving in a way that I would want to, and I didn't respond in a way that would be productive. The problem is, the trick is to be able to get to the point where I can catch that before it happens. And I know when it's coming. Like, I can feel the physical symptoms, the, the, the reactions that come about when I'm experiencing these types of emotions. When I'm angry or frustrated or, you know, or something similar, like, my ears get hot. And I, think they, I think they get a little red. I always, you know, if, if I'm stressed out or anything, I always feel like there's a band, like my chest tightens and... Something's going across my chest and just tightening down. I also, I, find, I tend to sweat. I get hot. I start to sweat. 
when things, uh, when my emotions are starting to take over. And I get some jittery energy. Like now all of a sudden I have to be doing something. I have to do it right now. I think that's uh, obviously a coping mechanism, trying to distract myself from what's bothering me. But I get, I get, I get this energy. And it's not productive energy. Like I might go tr- unload the dishwasher, but it's not like that, that, that expending that energy is helping the problem at hand. So I think there's ways and changes I could make to start to correct for this. One of the first things I think I need to do is just think more before reacting. So maybe slow my breathing. That's one thing that really stood out to me from, from, the, from the book was this reminder that if we take a deep breath in through our nose and then slowly exhale it out, through our mouths, that helps not only re-oxygenate the brain, but also calm, calm those emotions. I found myself doing that more and more since I've, since I read the book. And it's something I'd heard before. I'd, I'd, I'm sure I've even told some of my public speaking students to do it. But doing it myself was always a different matter. So I need, to, I, I need to slow my breathing, and I need to stop. I need to stop and take a moment to think about what's going on before I explode. For example, this morning, as I was driving to work, a car was in front of me, and we're in town, and there's some construction everywhere, and they had their blinker on, they started to turn, but then they changed their mind, and then they put on their blinker to go a different way, and they changed their mind. And I could feel myself getting ready to react with some road rage. But then I thought, well, maybe they're, they're new in town, or they're just passing through, and they're trying to find something, and they're lost, so why should I be upset for them, be at them, for simply trying to go somewhere? They weren't doing this intentionally. And I got close enough, and I could see that the license plate indicated that they were not from this, from this town. And so, you know, when that kind of thing happens, I need to learn to let it go. I need to, like last night, as I was, as I was driving in the, in the rain, it was raining in this, in this uh, part of Kansas. And I was on the interstate, and there was a semi up, up ahead that was kind of pulled over, and there was, a, there was a truck pickup in front of me in the other lane, and I was in the left lane. And all of a sudden, that, that pickup decided it should get over and give that semi some room. But in doing so, it cut me off, and I almost had to go into the, into the median on the interstate. And I could have honked. I could have yelled. I just waited for him to... I, I'm, I'm gendering the, the, the driver. I don't know for sure. I waited for that driver to get back over into their lane, and then I just kept going, and I just tried to let it go. Because those are the types of things I know that I would normally dwell on. Uh, same thing with like my with my spouse. A pet peeve of mine is being interrupted while I'm while I'm talking. And that happened recently, because I had I was eating an apple at the time and I had paused to take a bite. Before I kept telling the the story I was telling, whatever I was telling. And that that one momentary pause was the cue for her to jump in. 
and I could have, I could have reacted poorly, but I, and I do attribute this to reading this book. Like I thought for a moment, I stayed calm and then I let it go. Now, does it seem like I let it go if I'm still talking about it? Well, that's up for debate, right? But I knew it, it's a good example of, of how these, these experiences that have, that have been sending out lately of where I'm trying to take what Bradbury and Greaves talked about and then implement it into my life. The thing I was, I scored lowest in, in that test that I talked about earlier though, was recognizing what other people are feeling. That's hard for me. I guess I, I focus so much on productivity. Like I have, I make a to-do list. I have a to-do list constantly. I know I need to get these things done. Because of that, I become a bit self-centered and, and selfish where I don't look and pay attention to what's going on around me in terms of my interactions with other people all the time. So one thing I need to work on, obviously, is I need to pay more attention to the body language. I think that alone will tell me a lot about what people are thinking and feeling. If they're kind of all curled up, you know, in a meeting, something's wrong. They're not wanting to engage. Like that, We need to be cognizant of that and, and create that space for them to be able to come in and, and contribute. Or if my spouse is stomping around and, you know, slamming, I don't know, she doesn't slam the cabinet doors, but if she did, that should be a clear indicator. I need to pay attention to that. And I shouldn't try, I shouldn't, I should make sure I don't do things to aggravate the situation further. And even if the body language isn't showing things, I should pay more attention to what people are actually saying. Try to understand the perspective they're bringing. I need to practice perspective taking more. And understand that they said this, but what were they really meaning? What else is going on in their life that would be an indicator that what they're saying has more meaning behind it? And so that means I just need to be a better, I guess, human, right? I need to be more aware of, of who's around me and be more, uh, I need to be more of a listener. As we, as we tell my, my three-year-old, you need to be a listener, and so I need to practice what I'm preaching. Now, of course, all this also applies like in my career. If I'm, as an educator, I have to work with other people, whether it's students, other faculty members, you know, maintenance staff, the administration, what have you. I have to be able to interact with them and be productive. Because the alternative is I'll be fired. And I, that's not good for me. I, I need my paycheck. So being aware of this emotional intelligence is important for that collaboration aspect. Even though as a faculty member, like nobody else is in there teaching my classes. But we still have to exist in this, this society, this, this tribe of, of faculty on this campus. And so I need to pay attention and practice these skills so I can be viewed as a good employee, at the very least, a good colleague, somebody people want to work with, a class that I teach classes that I'm a professor that students want to take my classes. So if I'm feeling overwhelmed or if I can feel my emotions starting to get the better of me, I just need to take a moment before I respond to something, process it, let some of those 
knee-jerk reactions subside, take a deep breath, and then thoughtfully respond. I need to listen and hear what somebody's saying as opposed to listen while I wait to, for my turn to speak. If it's really bad, I just need to go maybe close my office door, go for a little walk outside, do something that can maybe burn off some of that, that adrenaline, that energy that ends up flooding the system when the emotions get high, and then come back and be able to approach what's going on. And I think that's also important with some of the, I work with a nonprofit in my hometown. It's an arts council. And I'm one of the youngest people on the board. Most of the members of the board are, are retired. And because of that, they have different lived experiences. They have different perspectives. They have different knowledge bases. So when somebody asked me to do something with Facebook, for example, if we needed to do something there, I need to keep that in mind that, sure, I may know how to do this. That's why they're coming to me, right? That should be a good thing, as opposed to potentially getting frustrated and thinking, oh, how do you not know how to do this? It's Facebook. Everybody can do this. But that's not true. Not everybody can do those things. The same goes, you know, I know I'm talking about career stuff now, but same thing dealing with, like, my parents or my spouse's parents, like if they have, te you know, technology questions, instead of getting frustrated, I need to be cognizant that I'm, they're coming to me because they view me as somebody that can help, that may be a quote-unquote expert. And so then I should take that as a compliment and then help them and be gentle and nice about it because they're trying to learn as opposed to getting frustrated. And being able to do these things is just good out in the, in the world overall. We have to exist in a society. Even though the United States is highly individualistic in terms of its thinking, we do live in a collective society. We all, our actions and decisions can and do impact each other. So we need to be emotionally intelligent about how we interact with each other. Now, there are some people out there in the, in the world that represent good or high emotional intelligence, and there are some that seem to struggle. You know, one celebrity that stands out that seems to have good emotional intelligence would be Keanu Reeves. He just seems very kind and aware of what's going on around him. I've heard stories of how he donated some of his paycheck from, the, from like the, I think it was The Matrix. Uh, I, need, I need a fact checker on the show to make sure this stuff's right. But that's what I've heard, and that I, you know, some cursory Google searches seem to support that. And also I always appreciated about him, like when he's taking a picture with fans or with any, anybody of the opposite gender as him, he might put his arm around him, but he puts it behind him, but he doesn't touch him. Like you can see his hand. If you look at some of the pictures, he keeps his hand away from him because he's not wanting to make anybody uncomfortable. He's not wanting to place his hand somewhere that would make somebody uh, think he has ill intent or anything of that nature. And I think that's super smart. Another person that seems to have strong emotional intelligence would be the Senate leader, minority leader, uh, Mitch McConnell. Whether you agree with his politics or not, he always seems pretty cool, calm, and collected. He seems like he's managing himself well, at least in, when he's public-facing. Of course, I don't know what he's like behind closed doors, and that's, that could be a whole different story, but when he's on, 
he seems when he's on television or being interviewed or there's clips of him speaking on the Senate floor, he seems to be very aware and in control of what he's saying. Now, there's a few people, you know, obviously I'm a news guy and I like politics. There's a few people that struggle. First, I feel like former President Donald Trump had low EQ scores. His emotions tended, tended to run the show. If he was angry, he'd tweet about it. He was, there was no like hiding or masking his emotions. It was all right out there in the open. Another person that does this would be uh, conservative anchor Fox, uh, on Fox News, Tucker Carlson. There's a lot of yelling and, and you know, appearing to throw fits about things, and he just doesn't seem to be in control of what he's doing. Now, that could all be part of his shtick. That's people tune in because it's entertainment, and that's the, that's the key is he's on that station at a time during the prime times slots where it's not about the news, it's about the opinion. And so if he's going to play up that opinion and be this bombastic character, that, that clearly works for him. The, the ratings would show that. But it gives the appearance that he does not have this uh, very strong emotional intelligence. And the same, same exact story would go with uh, disgraced broadcaster Bill O'Reilly, who used to be on Fox News. He would often yell and, and shout and call people names on the air. Again, maybe it was just his, his little character, but it doesn't seem like it. And there's even some other clips of him, like before he got onto Fox News that you can find on the internet that show that was really him, probably. How something wasn't going right in the studio once, and he, he was just yelling and, and cursing at people. And so these people are, need to also improve their emotional intelligence, just as I do. And historically, uh, there was also another president that perhaps had poor emotional intelligence management. Uh, And I'm just thinking of, of President Richard Nixon. You know, if you think just even about, you know, with the Watergate scandal or some of those, the Oval Office recordings that have come out since he left office, he wanted his way and it was his way or the highway and he was going to do anything he could to, to achieve his goals. And so I don't think he was very cognizant of what other people were thinking, or if he was, he didn't care. So I think that would be another indicator of a low EQ score. And, you know, maybe it's a unfair example, but when he was on television and uh, debating John F. Kennedy, he was sweating and just, even though if, People say that if, they, if you listen to it on the radio, you'd say Nixon won, but Kennedy won on, if you watched on TV. But it's that type of body language and that emotional response of, of the sweating that would indicate that there is, there's, there, there's some work to be done on the emotional intelligence levels. The one thing the, the book points out is that there's only about 36 people 36%, sorry, 36% of people who are able to identify their emotions accurately as they happen. That, that doesn't, didn't seem super surprising to me. Like it's, this is hard work. If it, w- if it was easy, 
There wouldn't be a book about it, right? It would just be the way things are. And I think anybody can get better at it. As the old saying goes, how do you get to Carnegie, Carnegie Hall? Practice. We just need to practice having control of our emotions and managing things well. So that makes me wonder as, as we come to a close here, you know, what, how will practice, you know, what will be the most challenging part of practicing these skills? When I think, and this isn't intended to be a flippant response, but it's just people, right? We're all humans. We all, everyone is at a varying level of emotional intelligence. So those interactions themselves, if we're not all speaking this common language or have this common understanding of, of what it means to control ourselves in this way, that's going to be the challenging part. You know, more on a more local level for me, it'd be, you know, students, teach, uh, students, uh, children, my, my own children, and my spouse, right? Those, are, those would be three areas where I could easily see my emotions getting the best of me. It's in those types of interactions. So it's just, it, it take, it's going to require a lot of intentionality. You have to be conscious about what's going on and you need to make it a point to take care of those things. Now the book says that, you know, as we get older, our, our emotional intelligence increases. Great. I'm looking forward to that, I guess, right? It'll make things easier. And I can see the validity there because, like, I look at my own father. I remember him being more like me now, I suppose, if, if I'm being honest. I'm just maybe a little easier, not necessarily a temper, but easier to get frustrated with things. And now, as he's, he's, he's retired, he has grandchildren, he's, like, so laid back. I don't know if I could make him mad if I tried. And I think I can still remember the buttons I used to push. But he's so laid back. It's incredible. Of course, I am a, a millennial. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise, according to some of the reading, that uh, self-management skills may be the lower part. And, you know, I don't know if I agree. You know, millennials catch a lot of, a lot of flack for, for everything. We get blamed for a lot. At least we did for there for a while. But I think it's just, this, it's a different type of awareness that this generation has. And it's a more, it's a more internal, well, I mean, it, that, that doesn't even make sense, does it? If, it, if it's self-management that's the problem, it can't be that we're looking, we're too introspective. So maybe we're too, too focused on what's going on around us. I don't know. I mean, that's a hard one, right? I just, that's one place where I, I still struggled to, to really understand what was being discussed because, I mean, I understood what they were saying, but I don't know that I agreed with it, I guess. There's, I mean, if the, if the data shows that that's, that's the gap, you know, between like millennials and like baby boomers, that makes sense. But I think it's, it's how we've been brought up. We've had to do different things than what the baby boomer generation has had to experience like I remember graduating from college in, for with, my, with my bachelor's degree. That was right at the time of the economic crisis that we faced in 2008. Job prospects were not great. You know, it, those types of, you know, 9-11 happened 
while I was in high school, you know, as we're coming up on that anniversary of that tragedy. So these different things have impacted it. And I think because of those, we've been become more open to talking about them. And maybe that leads us to being more emotionally available. And then that turns into where we don't control our emotions well. So we don't manage ourselves well because we're used to just being open and honest and, and having our emotions on our sleeve. I don't know. Maybe that's me just trying to come up with an excuse, but that's kind of the sense I get in just trying to consider myself and other people of my generation that I, you know, friends and, and acquaintances and people I work with even, or we're, we're all in that category, some of us. So I just wonder if that's part of that, that gap that we are okay with showing emotion, whereas emotional intelligence doesn't necessarily say showing emotions bad, but there's more control there is, is the idea. And we don't necessarily control it all the time. It's all, it's all out in the open. And just thinking back too to, to like a workplace scenario, it was interesting that like CEOs and executives, they, they on average have the lowest EQ scores in a workplace. And that didn't surprise me. These are people that are used to being in control, having power. If, if, you, they, if they tell somebody to do something, they expect it to be done. So if at any time there's any sort of pushback, that's a trigger. And they're going to potentially explode and yell and, and do all sorts of things. So that, that makes sense. And then all we can do is hope that more CEOs or executives or even, you know, administrators in, in different school settings, educational settings, that they think about these things like, yes, I'm the, maybe the, the quote-unquote authority, but it means something else to be a good leader. You know, leadership is an activity, not a position, as Chris Lippin and O'Malley would, t- would say. So you need to have control of your emotions to be able to lead because if you let your emotions take control, they're going to take you out of the game, then you're no longer effective and you can't have any sort of impact. And it's that kind of thought that makes me say that people need to read this book. I highly recommend it. It's available, you know, paperback, you know, physical copies as an ebook. There's an audiobook I saw. There's all sorts of ways you can consume this. And I think it'd be super beneficial. And if more people did this, that could kind of change some of the, the tone we see in society today. We're very divided. And everything becomes a wedge issue. But if we were all could control our emotions better and take these insights into, into who we are and how we can grow and become more successful, it'll also pay dividends by helping society because we'll all be able to get along better. Peace, love, and harmony. That's what we need, right? I think it can't hurt. So go get this book if you're interested in, in self, self-improvement at all. I think this could be a good place to start, even if you just want to dip your toe in to understand you know, some of these, these self-help books that, are all, that exist. This could be a good place to start because it would be very foundational. It would lay a good uh, groundwork, a framework for you, foundation to help you then build from and improve your improve yourself depending upon whatever your goals might be so that's that's today's show 
I hope you enjoyed this Stratcom conversation. I thank you for listening, and we'll talk again very soon. Have a great day.